إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So continuing in Kitab Salah the chapter regarding the description of the prayer, Sifatul Salah. Last week, uh, we covered the hadith of Abu Humaid al-Sa'idi radiallahu anhu. We covered this hadith last week, huh? No? No? Okay, so we've done the hadith of Abu, uh, Abu Humaid, Asa'idi radiallahu anhu. We explained that one from the uh, explanation of Shaykh al-Fawzan, hafidhahullah ta'ala, regarding some of the descriptions of the prayer of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Also the hadith after that, we did two, which was the hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه كان إذا قام إلى الصلاة قال وجهت وجهي للذي فطر السماوات والأرض إلى قوله من المسلمين اللهم أنت الملك لا إله إلا أنت أنت ربي وأنا عبدك إلى آخره رواه مسلم وفي رواية له إن ذلك في صلاة الليل This last hadith that we covered in the last lesson, the hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, that was now talking about some of those opening supplications that a person can recite at the beginning of the prayer. After you enter into the prayer with the takbir, Allahu Akbar, then there are some opening supplications and there are different uh, narrations, different opening supplications that are possible to be read. And we mentioned last time that as Shaykh al-Fawzan said, it is not suitable for a person to read all of those various opening supplications in one prayer. So you pray a particular prayer, or as soon as you start any given prayer, Allahu Akbar, and you begin, you recite one of the du'as, one of the opening supplications from amongst those that are available. But you don't recite all of them together at the beginning of every, any one given prayer. But you can mix up amongst them in different prayers. So in one prayer, you could start with one of these opening supplications. In another prayer later in the day, you could start your prayer with a different opening supplication. In another prayer later on, you could start it with another different opening supplication. So you can use all of the various opening supplications... But the Shaykh said it is better to use them independently in separate prayers. Not to recite all three, four, five, six different opening supplications at the beginning of one prayer. So that one we did too. And then after that now we are on the hadith of Abu Huraira. The hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu qal, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا كبر للصلاة سكت هنيهة قبل أن يقرأ فسألته فقال أقول اللهم باعد بيني وبين خطاياي كما باعدت بين المشرق والمغرب اللهم نقني من خطاياي كما ينقى الثوب الأبيض من الدنس 
اللهم اغسلني من خطاياي بالماء والثلج والبرد متفق عليه So this is another one of the opening supplications that are mentioned in this hadith of Abu Huraira radiyallahu anhu he said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he would do the opening takbir when he would do the opening takbir to begin the prayer then after that opening takbir Allahu akbar he would go silent for a while sakata hunaihatan qabla an yaqra he would go silent for a while before he would recite meaning al fatiha there would be a silence before he would go on to the fatiha meaning now if you're praying behind the imam the imam does the takbir allahu akbar then he goes silent for a while you don't hear anything then after a small moment or two then he recites alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin and he begins so what is that pause at the beginning abu huraira radiyallahu anhu says fasaltuhu so i asked the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam regarding that opening pause so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said aqulu i say in that opening pause before starting al fatiha in that opening slot allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya kama ba'adta bayna al mashriq wa al maghrib aw allah distance between me and my sins as you have distanced between the east and the west allahumma naqini min khatayaya kama yunaqqa thawb al abyad min al danas Oh Allah, purify me from my sins just as a, a white clothing is purified from its dirt. Allahumma ghsilni min khatayaya. Oh Allah, cleanse me of my sins with water, wathalj uh, walbard, ice and coldness, to uh, cleanse me of my sins with water and ice and coldness. Muttafaqun alayhi, the hadith which is agreed upon, Uh, by al-bukhari and muslim so that is another one of the opening supplications a shaykh al-fawzan says regarding it that when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would go silent at the beginning sukutan yasiran and it was a momentary silence as we explained when the imam does the takbir allahu akbar then he may not start straight away alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin Allahu Akbar, and then there's a silence for a short period. Then after that moment or two, the imam will start, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So in that small moment or two of silence at the beginning, what was read? This is what Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned this dua that was narrated in the hadith. And that is uh, another one of the types of opening supplications that can be read. at the beginning of the prayer after that then an umar radiyallahu anhu anna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yaqul umar radiyallahu anhu narrates that the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa tabaraka ismuka wa ta'ala jadduka وَلَا إِلَهَا غَيْرُكَ رواه مسلم بسند منقطع والدار قطني موصولا وهو موقوف ونحوه عن أبي سعيد الخدري رضي الله عنه مرفوعا عند الخمسة 
وفيه كان يقول بعد التكبير أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم من همزه ونفخه ونفثه In this hadith of Umar radiyallahu anhu, then he says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say, Subhanaka Allahumma wa bihamdika wa tabaraka smuka wa ta'ala jadduka wa la ilaha ghayruk. And that is probably one of the most popular opening supplications that most people are aware of. So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu narrates that the Prophet sallallahu used to recite this at the opening as one of those opening supplications. Subhanaka that Allah is removed, or rather, all of the deficiencies are far removed from Allah. Any deficiency, any type of negative affair, it is all removed from Allah, and Allah is uh, above and uh, uh, aloft of all of those types of deficiencies. Allahumma wa bihamdika. Allahumma, this word, generally speaking, the scholars, they say, Allahumma, which often translates as, O oh Allah, then it is calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by His names. It is calling upon Allah by His various names. Allahumma, O oh Allah, wa bihamdika, and with your praise, wa tabaraka smuka, and blessed is your name, wa ta'ala jadduka, and your honor and, and, and majesty is the most aloft, وَلَا إِلَهَ غَيْرُكَ And there is no other deity or God besides you. That is one of the opening supplications. Al-Hafid ibn Hajar here says that the chain of narration is cut, that there was a deficiency in the chain of narration. It is not linked all the way. Uh, however, there is a narration which comes after it. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri رضي الله عنه and he narrates it linked up to the Prophet wasallam. And he says that the Prophet ﷺ used to say after the takbir, أعوذ بالله سميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم من همزه ونفخه ونفذه. And this one, the Shaykh will explain the details of its meaning. Firstly then, in the opening one, سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك وتبارك اسمك وتعالى جدك ولا إله غيرك. What's the meaning of that in detail? التسبيح, when you say سبحانك, then it means at-tanzih. At-tanzih, meaning that all types of deficiencies are removed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All types of deficiencies are negated from Allah. Allah is the mighty, the majestic, the most high, and there is no deficiency associated to Allah. That's subhanaka. Subhanaka Allahumma, tanzihullah azza wa jal, an kulli ma yaliqu bihi. So it is to remove all of those affairs and deficiencies that are not suitable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatsoever. وَبِحَمْدِكَ And with your praise, ثَنَاءٌ عَلَى اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَشُكْرٌ عَلَى هَذَا التَّوْفِيقِ This is praise to Allah and showing your gratitude and thanks to Allah that Allah gave you this guidance, this tawfiq. فَلَوْ لَا تَوْفِيقُكَ وَهِدَايَتُكَ لَمْ أُصَبِّحْكَ because was it not for the guidance of Allah to you, was it not for the guidance of Allah upon you, then you wouldn't have been standing there praying to Allah, reciting these supplications, removing or affirming that all deficiencies are removed from Allah, glorifying Allah. You wouldn't have been doing that, was it not for the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there where you say, وَبِحَمْدِكَ 
And uh, the praise is to Allah. وَبِحَمْدِكَ The praise, when you talk about this praise, then it is the praise to Allah and the gratitude to Allah that Allah has guided you. فَهُوَ اِعْتَرَافٌ مِنَ الْعَبْدِ بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ عَلَيْهِ So it is the acknowledgement of the servant of the great blessing and virtue Allah has placed upon him. وَاعْتِرَافٌ مِنْهُ بِعَجْزِهِ And you are also acknowledging your own weakness. لَوْلَا تَوْفِيقُ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى لَهِ Was it not for the success that Allah gave you, this guidance that Allah gave you, then you would not have been anything without that. وَتَبَارَكَ اسْمُكَ And blessed is the name of Allah. أَيْ إِنَّ الْبَرَكَةَ تُنَالُ بِذِكْرِكَ Meaning that blessings are gained or achieved through the remembrance of Allah. Blessings are obtained through the remembrance of Allah. فَإِذَا ذُكِرَ اسْمُ اللَّهِ عَلَى شَيْءٍ أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ فِيهِ الْبَرَكَةِ So if you mention the name of Allah upon something, you begin with Bismillah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places blessing within that affair. سَوَاءً فِي الْأَكَلْ أَوِ الشُرُبْ أَوِ الدُّخُولْ أَوِ الْخُرُوجِ Whether it is at the beginning of eating or drinking, or entering or leaving, or whatever the action may be that you are doing, you begin with the name of Allah, Bismillah, then that affair, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places blessings within it. So when you say here, وَتَبَارَكَ اسْمُكَ And blessed is your name, meaning that when you begin with the name of Allah, then Allah places blessings within that action of yours. وَتَعَالَى جَدُّكَ الْجَدُّ مَعْنَاهُ الْعَظَمَةِ وَتَعَالَى جَدُّكَ And the greatness of the majesty of Allah. وَتَعَالَى جَدُّكَ The greatness and the highness of the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. اَيْ جَلَّتْ عَظَمَتُكَ يَا اللَّهِ وَلَا إِلَهَ غَيْرُكَ And that there is no other deity deserving of worship in truth whatsoever besides Allah. فَهَذِهِ مِنَ الْأَلْفَاظِ الْعَظِيمَةِ الَّتِي تُسْتَفْتَحُ بِهَا الصَّلَاةِ so these are from amongst the great words that a person opens up his prayer with. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa tabaraka smuka wa ta'ala jadduka wa la ilaha ghayruk. That is the meaning of that opening supplication. Also an individual can say after that opening supplication, there is an additional supplication that can be read. And this is mentioned in the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. A'udhu billahi s-sami al-alim. من الشيطان الرجيم من همزه ونفخه ونفثه وذلك أيضا من سنن الصلاة and to recite this is also from the sunnah acts of the prayer the sheikh says فالاستعاذة بعد الاستفتاح من سنن الصلاة so to seek refuge in Allah after your opening supplication after you read your opening supplication سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك وتبارك اسمك وتعالى جدك ولا إله غيرك then after that, to do the isti'adha. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم To recite that isti'adha, seeking refuge in Allah, then that is also from the sunnah acts of the prayer. To recite that straight after the opening supplication. وأعوذ معناها التجئ وأعتصم When you say أعوذ بالله, meaning I seek refuge in Allah, I take resort in Allah, I return back my affair to Allah, seeking aid and shelter in Allah, seeking that resort in Allah, refuge in Allah. 
As-Sami'ah. When you say, A'udhu Billahi As-Sami'ah. As-Sami'ah, the all-hearing. And this is from amongst the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The all-hearing of everything that the creation says. All of the sounds, all of the voices, the languages. Then all of that is heard by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Alim, the most knowledgeable, again, the most knowledgeable in terms of the actions of the slaves and all of that which they do. And this is the knowledge of Allah that encompasses everything. All of that which is in the past, all of that which is in the present, all of that which is in the future. Allah's knowledge encompasses all of that, past, present, future, and even more than that. So what is the addition? And we mentioned it before. What is the additional aspect the scholars mention even on top of that? Allah's knowledge, it covers the past, the present, the future, and more than that. What is more than that? What can be more than the past, the present, and the future? Allah's knowledge covers all of that, but more too. The unseen is that past, present, future. Of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with regards to His own names and attributes, then He has informed us of them. But more than that too. Knowledge of the affairs that never took place. Things that never happened. If they had happened, then Allah knows exactly how they would have happened. Things that didn't ever happen. They did not occur. Had they occurred, if they had occurred, if they had occurred, then Allah knows exactly how they would have occurred. So even that, not only the things that actually occurred in the past, and the things that are actually occurring in the present, and the things that are actually going to occur in the future, but even things that never occurred, things that didn't happen, if they had happened, then Allah is aware of how they would have happened. So this is Al-Alim, again from the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِنَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى يَسْمَعُ مَا يَقُولُونَ وَيَعْلَمُ مَا يَفْعَلُونَ So Allah hears what everyone says, what the creation says, and He is aware and knowledgeable of what they do. لَا يَخْفَى عَلَيْهِ شَيْءٍ Nothing is hidden from Allah. فَهُمَا إِسْمَانِ مِنْ أَسْمَاءِ اللَّهِ عَظِيمَانِ So those two are two of the great names of Allah. السَّمِيعِ الْعَلِيمِ يَتَضَمَّنَانِ Sifatayni min sifatihi They include within them, they incorporate two of the attributes from the attributes of Allah. Because as we know the principle is, every name has derived from it an attribute. Every name has derived from it an attribute. And the opposite, every attribute has a name derived from it, true or false. All of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every name has an attribute that comes from it. What about the opposite way around? Does that therefore mean that every attribute has a name that comes from it? It doesn't. That's why the scholars, they say that the attributes of Allah, they are more expansive than the names of Allah. The names of Allah, every one of them has an attribute that comes from it. So therefore there must be at least the same number of attributes as there are names, at least. Because every name has an attribute. But then, 
not every attribute has a name that goes with it. That therefore means there must be some attributes that don't have the names. So therefore the attributes are more expansive than the names. Babu sifat as they say, awsa' min babil asma' The the field of the names, the attributes of Allah, it is more expansive than the names of Allah. So here these are two great names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they incorporate those two great uh, attributes of hearing and knowledge. So, you say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ I seek refuge in Allah from the shaytan. الشَّيْطَانِ What does that word mean? What does the word الشَّيْطَانِ mean linguistically? It means anything that is rebellious. Something that is rebellious, it rebels, rebellious. Then that is known as shaytan. وَهُوَ الْمَارِدُ مِنَ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنسِ So the one who is rebellious from the jinn and from the humans, they are known as a shaytan. فَكُلُّ مُتَمَرِّدٍ عَنْ طَاعَةِ اللَّهِ فَهُوَ شَيْطَانٍ So whomsoever rebels against the obedience to Allah, they rebel against that. So they want to be upon disobedience. And they want to be in opposition to the guidance and the rulings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sharia, they want to oppose that and rebel against that, then that is an individual known linguistically as a shaitan now. That is a shaitan, the one who rebels and opposes against that, and not even linguistically, but even more than that. As Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, shayateen al-insi wal-jinn, the shayateen, the devils from the humans and from the jinn, yuhi ba'dhuhum ila ba'd, زُخْرُفَ الْقَوْلِ غُرُورًا That they whisper to each other. فَهُنَاكَ شَيَاطِينَ مِنَ الْإِنسِ There are some shayateen therefore from the humans. وَرَأْسُ الشَّيَاطِينَ And the head of all of these shayateen, the head of all of these devils, is Iblis, the curse of Allah upon him. So, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمَ الرَّجِيمَ Upon the pattern of in Arabic of fa'il, which indicates someone who is expelled, as one of the meanings of ar-rajim, someone who is expelled. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajim I seek refuge in Allah from the shaytan, the rajim. What is the rajim? Why is shaytan rajim? Meaning he is expelled and thrown away and distanced. Ar-rajim. Al-Matrudu an Rahmatillah, the one who has been expelled from the mercy of Allah. That's one of the meanings of Ar-Rajim. Similarly, some of the scholars they mention also that it can have the meaning of the one who is pelted. You pelt someone with stones and other things, you hit them in that way. That is also linguistically Rajim. How does that apply to the Shayateen? Now, more than symbolic, in reality. The shooting stars. The shooting stars. When the shayateen, they climb on top of the backs of each other to get to the heavens, to steal information, then it's mentioned the shooting stars, or those uh, balls of fire, the shooting stars. Huh? They hit those shayateen. And sometimes maybe they will hear what they 
uh, here and pass it on, and sometimes maybe it hits them before they are able to pass it on. And if it is passed on, then that passes all the way to the bottom until it goes to the fortune tellers and the sorcerers and the magicians and their likes. And then they mix that piece of truth with their lies uh, and deceive the people in that way. So that is another meaning of a rajim, the one who is pelted and stoned. That is also linguistically correct for the shayateen. Min hamzihi, a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim, min hamzihi. One of the things that I mentioned is that you are seeking refuge in Allah from the shaytan, from his hams. You are seeking refuge in Allah from the hams of the shaytan. What is the hams? Ma'anahu as-sar'a wal-junoona. Li'anna shaytan yakhabbilu al-insan fi aqlihi. The meaning of this is that sometimes the shayateen, they can overcome an individual. They can overcome an individual, overpower an individual, take control of his senses so that he behaves in manners that are unbefitting or behaves in manners that he doesn't understand, i.e. that perhaps he becomes in a state where he's mentally deficient due to the shayateen having overcome him in that way or having possessed him. So you seek refuge from Allah from this type of action occurring to you that you are possessed by the shayateen, or that they overcome your mind, that is the hamza, that you are seeking refuge in Allah, from the shaytan doing to you. وَنَفْخِهِ You are also seeking refuge from the nafkh of the shaytan. What is that? هُوَ الْكِبْرِ فَإِنَّهُ يَنْفُخُ بِالْإِنسَانِ وَيُعَظِّمُهُ فِي نَفْسِهِ حَتَّى يَرَى أَنَّهُ أَكْبَرُ أَفْضَلْ مِنْ غَيْرِهِ That is from pride and arrogance. Because the shaytan, he comes... And he will insert into an individual this feeling of pride and arrogance, a dispraiseworthy characteristic to the extent that an individual considers himself to be great. And he considers himself to be superior and better than all others. And that is clearly a dispraiseworthy characteristic. And when an individual becomes in that way, then he considers himself to be superior to others and he behaves towards them in a manner that is unbefitting a manner that is not from the characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ with the pride and the arrogance. So you seek refuge in Allah from the shaitan coming and whispering to you that you have this superiority complex. And that is something which is not suitable and befitting whatsoever and it is dispraiseworthy. How many people they are afflicted by these types of whispers? So an individual seeks refuge in Allah from being afflicted with such types of whispers of pride and arrogance in of himself. وَنَفْثِهِ النَّفْثِ هُوَ شِعْرِ لَا سِيَّمَ شِعْرَ الَّذِي فِيهَا هِجَاءَ وَسَبَابَ أَوْ فِيهِ غَزَلٌ وَمُجُونَ فَهَذَا مِمَّا يَنْفُذُهُ الشَّيْطَانِ كَمَا قَالَ تَعَالَى وَشُعْرَاءَ يَتَّبِعُهُمُ الْغَاوُونَ فَشِعْرَ أَغْلَبُهُ مَذْمُومٌ إِلَّا مَا اسْتُعْمِلَ فِي الْمُبَاحِ أو استعمل في الدعوة إلى الله ورد على المشركين ولهذا قال تعالى بعد ذلك إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وذكروا الله كثيرا فشعر وشعراء الأصل فيهما الذم لكن إذا استعمل في المباح أو استعمل في أمور الدين كان المراد بنفسه السحر لأن السحر أيضا 
لا نعم لكن إذا استعمل في المباح أو استعمل في أمور الدين كان مفيدا فقد قال صلى الله عليه وسلم إن من شعر الحكمة وقيل المراد بنفذه السحر لأن السحر أيضا من نفذ الشيطان لأن صاحر ينفض ويعقد العقد كما قال تعالى ومن شر النفافات يعني سواحر في العقد فنفذه إذا هو شعر وسحر وكلاهما مذموم إلا أن شعر قد يكون منه شيء حسن أما سحر فكله باطل وحرام بل كله كفر So the Sheikh now explains what does this third part mean من نفثه النفث the Sheikh explains it can have two meanings as the scholars have said Some of the scholars they say that this refers to certain types of poetry certain types of recitations that are dispraiseworthy Poetry or something similar to that poetry that is used in a dispraiseworthy way. Recitations that are used in dispraiseworthy ways. There are some types of poetry obviously that are praiseworthy and they are good. When they are used in defense of the religion and in defense of Tawheed etc. Or they are used in encouragement of that. Then they can be praiseworthy but otherwise then the dispraiseworthy type of that recitations, of those poetries of that nature, then that is mentioned that you seek refuge in the shaitan coming, and overcoming you with those types of speech. Similarly, magic, the other meaning of it is magic, that you seek refuge in Allah from the shaitan, overcoming you with magic, because the shaitan he blows, or it is mentioned that they blow into the knots, and they blow into those types of knots, in order to cause the magic to occur. So all of this then now, it is sunnah that a person recites this supplication, you seek refuge in Allah from all of these affairs, after your opening supplication in the prayer. And this is from the sunan of the prayer. فَالْإِسْتِعَاذَ بَعْدَ الْإِسْتِفْتَاحِ وَقَبْلَ الْقِرَاءَةِ مُسْتَحَبَّ فِي أَوَّلِ الصَّلَاةِ So therefore to seek refuge in Allah, to protect you from the shaitan, and from these affairs that are mentioned regarding the shaitan, that he places pride and arrogance in you, or the magic, or that he overcomes you and possesses you, you seek refuge in Allah from all of those affairs, in the prayer at the beginning, after your opening supplication in the opening raka'ah. As for al-raka'atu al-thaniyah, wa As for the second raka'ah, and the third raka'ah, and the fourth raka'ah, then when you start those, you don't start with A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. You don't begin with the isti'adha in the second or the third or the fourth. That isti'adha is only in the opening raka'ah. You start your prayer with the takbir, Allahu Akbar. You read your opening supplication. And then you start with the isti'adha, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. As for the remainder of the raka'at, then you don't recite that in them. After uh, rising up to start the second raka'ah and the third raka'ah and the fourth raka'ah, then you don't begin with that. And a person can begin with just Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, as is mentioned in some narrations. The hadith after that. وعن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يستفتح الصلاة بالتكبير والقراءة بالحمد لله رب العالمين وكان إذا ركع لم يشخص رأسه ولم يصوبه ولم يشخص رأسه ولم يصوبه 
ولكن بين ذلك وكان إذا رفع من الركوع لم يسجد حتى يستوي قائما وكان إذا رفع رأسه من السجود لم يسجد حتى يستوي جالسا وكان يقول في كل ركعتين تحية وكان يفرش رجله اليسرى وينسب اليمنى وكان ينهى عن عقبة الشيطان وينهى أن يفترش الرجل ذراعيه افتراش سبع وكان يختم الصلاة بالتسليم أخرجه مسلم وله علة In this hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha, she's going to explain some of the descriptions of the prayer of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi once again. It mentions here now that the Prophet sallallahu he used to open up his prayer with the takbir. And that we've mentioned already, you open the prayer, you start the prayer with the actual takbir, Allahu Akbar. And that is a pillar from the pillars of the prayer. That opening takbir is a pillar from the pillars of the prayer. And like we mentioned before, the prayer cannot begin, it does not start if you try to start it with something else. The prayer begins and it starts and you enter into it with that statement, Allahu Akbar. Not with any other statement, if you say Alhamdulillah or Subhanallah, or La ilaha illallah, any of those other supplications, then you have not entered into your prayer, it is the Allahu Akbar, the takbir at the beginning. And there are other narrations indicating that, uh, there's a hadith where it mentions تَحْرِيمُهَا التَّكْبِيرُ وَتَحْلِيلُهَا التَّسْلِيمُ That for you to enter into the prayer now, the تَحْرِيمُهَا Meaning that the affairs are now forbidden for you, you're in your prayer, is التَّكْبِيرُ With that Allahu Akbar. So again in this hadith it emphasizes that now, Aisha radiallahu anha mentions that the Prophet would enter into the prayer, would start the prayer with the takbir. And the fact that the hadith says, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Kana, meaning here, linguistically, something that indicates mudawama. Meaning, he continuously used to do that. The Prophet always used to open his prayer with Allahu Akbar. Kana here doesn't mean, for the one who may be learning Arabic, that used to or he did once in the past tense. Rather, it indicates mudawama, continuity. So the Prophet ﷺ always used to begin his prayer with the takbir, Allahu Akbar. And then, Aisha radiallahu anha also mentions that the Prophet ﷺ then also used to start with, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. This therefore indicates, the Shaykh says, فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْبَسْمَلَ لَيْسَتْ مِنَ الْفَاتِحَةِ وَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهَا يُسَرُّ بِهَا وَلَا يُجْهَرُ بِهَا هذا هو الثابت من سنة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في البسملة وهو الذي عليه جمهور أهل العلم وإن جهر بها في بعض الأحيان فلا بأس أما المداوم على الجهر بها فهذا خلاف ما دلت عليه الأحاديث الكثيرة عائشة رضي الله عنها says that the Prophet ﷺ used to begin the prayer with the takbir and then الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم لفاتحة Meaning the opening supplications, they were silent. Aisha radiallahu anha, he is talking about how the Prophet ﷺ would begin the prayer in what was heard to the people. So what was heard was Allahu Akbar. And then the silence as we heard previously in the other narration. And then Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen is where the Prophet ﷺ would begin. So we know that the opening supplication would have been said quietly. We know the A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, the Isti'adha would have been said quietly. Aisha radiallahu anha says, the first thing now was, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So where has Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim gone? 
That would have also therefore been said quietly. Because Aisha radiallahu anha here says in this hadith, the first thing was, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Not, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. The first thing Aisha radiallahu anha mentions was, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So the Bismillah, the Basmalah, that was also from the silent part. Before getting to the loud part, Alhamdulillah. This is what the majority of the scholars have explained. That the Basmala, it is read silently. This is what the Jumhur of the scholars are upon. And some of the scholars, they may hold the opinion that you're supposed to read it aloud. The Shaykh says, if an individual on some occasions, and this is a matter of fiqh, and there are more details, and maybe if we have an opportunity, we'll come back to it. Regarding the narrations, there is much speech. Much speech regarding the narrations of the Basmala and reciting it loud or quietly. The Shaykh says, if somebody did it on an odd occasion here and there, then there's no harm. But for somebody to come along and say that you have to recite the Bismillah at the beginning of every raka'ah, that wouldn't be correct. But again, there's many issues that come into that. The issue of, is Al-Basmala part of Al-Fatiha or not? Some scholars believe that Surah Al-Fatiha, the Bismillah rahman rahim is actually an ayah from Surah Al-Fatiha. Some scholars, they hold that opinion. They believe it's Bismillah rahman rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. They say Bismillah is the first ayah of Surah Al-Fatiha. Some scholars have that opinion. It's not the majority opinion. The majority, the Jumhur, they say no. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen is the opening ayah of Al-Fatiha. And there is also much discussion regarding the ahadith on that topic. But generally speaking, as the Shaykh says here now, the jumhur of the scholars, the majority of the scholars have all said that the Bismillah is said quietly and the loud bit starts from Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. وَكَانَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا رَكَعَ لَمْ يُشَخِّصْ رَأْسَهُ فِي حَالِ الرَّكُوعِ وَلَمْ يُصَوِّبْهُ here now, we have some more detail regarding the ruku' As we go through the details, they build up more and more. So now, there is some more detail regarding how to go into the ruku' in this particular narration. Aisha radiallahu anha mentions now, and before we even get to it, previously we've mentioned what about the ruku' There was a hadith that spoke about how you put your back. And that hadith said that your back should be level, that it shouldn't be bent inwards, and it shouldn't be bent upwards. It should be level. There was a narration that we covered already saying the back should be level and straight. Not bent inwards going down, not bent upwards in a crooked way. The one who is able, then keep it completely straight. Now in this hadith, Aisha radiallahu anha talks about the position of the head. The position of the head when you're in ruku'ah. The back must be straight. What do you do with the head at the end? Does the head go up? Does the head go down? Where does the head go? The back is straight. Here the hadith says, Aisha radiallahu anha says, that the Prophet ﷺ, he did not used to raise his head. So if this is the back, then the Prophet ﷺ didn't used to raise his head at the front, and neither did he used to lower the head. Rather the head was always in line with the back. So the whole of the body is in line. The back and the head, straight and level all the way across. She says, radiallahu anha, the Prophet ﷺ didn't used to bend it down, nor raise it up in the ruku'ah. And this is again a mistake you see from the people, that maybe their back is straight, but at the end their head will be all the way down. Sometimes you see the people praying in that way, it's incorrect. Or maybe they are down and their head is up here. 
and they're looking down with their eyes because the head is upwards. Again, it's incorrect. The head should be level and straight to the back so your eyesight is straight downwards. And this is the way of the Prophet ﷺ in the prayer. وَلَكِنْ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ Aisha radiallahu anha says that the Prophet ﷺ used to place his head in between the two positions. Not up, not down, in between. Level and straight to the back. وَكَانَ إِذَا رَفَعَ مِنَ الرُّكُوعِ لَمْ يَسْتُدْ حَتَّى يَسْتَوِيَ قَائِمًا This again highlights what we've mentioned already. Uh, and look at the number of narrations that are talking about this. And so many people, they don't do it. So many narrations talking about the same thing again and again with the description of the Prophet's prayer. That when the Prophet ﷺ used to come out of ruku'ah, لَمْ يَسْجُدْ حَتَّى يَسْتَوِيَ قَائِمًا He didn't used to go down into prostration until he was standing upright and proper and straight after coming out of the ruku'ah. Meaning after coming out, you come all the way up. Come out of ruku'ah all the way up and stand upright. Then from there go into prostration. Not as you see so many people now come out of ruku'ah, a quick flick upwards, barely even get upright. They don't even get upright. 45 degrees or whatever, just a little bit up and straight back down again. It's incorrect. The proper manner, the description of the Prophet ﷺ is to come out all the way up. Stand upright after your ruku'ah. Then go down into the prostration as this hadith also now indicates. And that, as Shaykh al-Fawzan said, is a pillar from the pillars of the prayer. To stand upright after the ruku'ah. فَلَوْ رَفَعَ مِنَ الرُّكُوعِ ثُمَّ سَجَدَ عَلَى الْفَوْرِ لَمْ يَعْتَدِلْ لَمْ تَصِحْ صَلَاتُهُ لَأَنَّهُ تَرَكَ رُكْرًا مِنْ أَرْكَانِهُ وَلَتَدَالْ بَعْدَ الْقِيَامِ مِنَ الرُّكُوعِ And the shaykh says, if you don't do that, if you don't come out of the ruku' and go upwards properly, you want to hasten and be quick, you flick up and you go down again without going upright after the ruku' then you missed a pillar and your prayer is incorrect. وَكَانَ إِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ مِنَ السُّجُودِ لَمْ يَسْتُدْ حَتَّى يَسْتَوِيَ جَالِسًا This we've mentioned as well, that when the Prophet ﷺ used to go into prostration, after coming out of the prostration, in between the two prostrations, he would come out so that he was upright and sitting properly. Then he would go back down into the next one. Not unlike again what you see from the people, one prostration, a quick flick upwards and back down into the next one. They don't even go all the way back, 45 degrees at best, a quick flick upwards just to remove the head up, remove the hands slightly off the ground, straight back down again. That isn't the way. The description of the Prophet ﷺ in prayer is that he would come up all the way and sit properly and then go all the way back down again into the next prostration. And again the shaykh says that is a pillar from the pillars of the prayer. وَكَانَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ يَقُولُ فِي كُلِّ رَكَعَتَيْنِ تَحِيَّةً And the Prophet ﷺ used to recite after every two rakaat the tahiyyah. التَّحِيَّةُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَوَاتِ التَّحِيَّاتُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَوَاتِ التَّحِيَّةُ The Prophet ﷺ used to recite that after every two rakaat. يَأْتِي بِالتَّشَهُّدِ الْأَوَّلِ وَالتَّشَهُّدِ الْأَخِيرِ وَمَا يُقَالُ فِيهِمَا فَدَلَّ عَلَى أَنَّ تَشَهُّدَ الْأَوَّلِ وَاجِبٌ وَاجِبَاتِ الصَّلَاةِ This indicates that after two rakaat, the opening tashahud, that is a wajib, it's an obligation of the prayer. Not a pillar, but an obligation. The opening tashahud after the two raka'at. If you're praying a three raka'at or a four raka'at prayer, then after two raka'at when you sit down to do a tahiyyatu lillah, then that is an obligation, a wajib. Meaning if you forgot that, then you would have to do the prostration of forgetfulness. As for the second sitting, the last sitting, in the fourth raka'at or in the third raka'at, 
that last sitting, or if it is your last sitting or whatever rakat prayer you are praying, then that last sitting now, that is a pillar uh, from the pillars. فَدَلَّ عَلَى أَنَّ تَشَهُّدَ الْأَوَّلِ وَاجِبٌ مِنَ وَاجِبَاتِ الصَّلَاةِ وَأَمَّا التَّشَهُّدَ الْأَخِيرُ فَهُوَ رُكْنٌ مِنْ أَرْكَانِ الصَّلَاةِ وَالتَّحِيَّةَ مَعْنَاهَا التَّعْظِيمَ And this tahiyya, التَّحِيَّةُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَوَاتِ وَالسَّلَامِ All of that when you recite it, it is to show the magnificence of Allah. To show the, the magnificence, the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what the meaning of a tahiyya is. جَمِيعُ التَّعْظِيمَاتِ اللَّهِ مِنَ الرَّكُوعِ وَالصُّجُودِ وَالذَّبْحِ وَغَيْرِ ذَلِكَ فَهَذَا كُلُّهُ مُسْتَحِقٌ لِلَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلُ وَلَا يَجُوزُ أَنْ يُسْرَفُ لِمَخْلُوقِ فَلَا يَجُوزُ أَنْ يُرْكَعْ لِمَخْلُوقِ مِنْ بَابِ تَحِيَّةِ وَلَا أَنْ يُنْحَنَى لِمَخْلُوقِ مِنْ بَابِ تَحِيَّةِ فَهَذَا شِرْكٌ بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلُ وَمِنْ بَابِ أَوْلَى لَا يَجُوزُ سُجُودُ لِمَخْلُوقِ فَقَدْ كَانَ الْمُشْرِكُونَ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَةِ سُجُودُ لِمُلُوكِهِمْ So this now all of it indicates that this is from the greatness of Allah. It is not permissible to bow to anyone else, to prostrate to anyone else, to slaughter to anyone else, to bow down to anyone else. All of this now would be shirk if an individual did it. So when you recite that tahiyyah, you are in that indicating the might, the majesty, the greatness of Allah, the tawheed of Allah. وَكَانَ يَفْرُشُ رِجْلَهُ الْيُسْرَى وَيَنْسِبُ الْيُمْنَى And when the Prophet ﷺ used to sit, in the first tashahud, then you will put the left foot down and sit upon it, as we described already in the previous hadith, put the left foot down and sit on it and make the right foot upright. To make the right foot upright and the left one flat sitting on it. And that is how the Prophet ﷺ would sit in the opening tashahud. Uh, so, that description we gave, the right foot, the toes are on the floor, facing towards the qibla, and the rest of the foot is upright, where the heel is therefore facing upwards, from behind upwards the heel. And as for the left foot, then the top of the foot is on the ground, and the bottom of the foot is where you are sitting on top of it. And that sitting is known to the people. Um, that's known as al-iftirash. And as for the final sitting, then that already has been explained too, and there are more narrations that are going to explain it as well, where you place the left foot under your body, and bring it out from the right hand side of your body, and the right foot it is established as it was before, and that is known as a tawarruk. وَكَانَ يَنْهَا عَنْ عُقْبَةِ الشَّيْطَانِ Here now we have some more information that the Prophet ﷺ used to forbid sitting in the tashahud, like the sitting of the shaytan. So what is the sitting of the shaytan? The Prophet ﷺ used to forbid sitting down like the sitting of the shaytan. وَقَدْ قِيلِ إِنَّ مَعَنَاهُ أَنْ يَجْعَلَ بُطُونَ قَدَمَيْهِ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ وَيَرْفَعَ أَقْبَيْهِ وَيَجْلِسُ عَلَيْهِمَا وَبِحَيْثِ يَجْعَلُ مَقْعَدَتُهُ عَلَى عَقِبَيْهِ هَذَا مَعْنَا عَقْبَةِ الشَّيْطَانِ وَلَكِنْ هَذَا التَّفْسِيرُ فِيهِ نَظَرٌ لِأَنَّهُ ومع عبد الله بن عمر وعبد الله بن عباس وعبد الله بن مسعود فدل ذلك على أن تلك الجلسة ليست هي المرادة من عقبة الشيطان. One explanation of this is what is the sitting of the shaytan? What is that posture? What is that position? Some of the scholars they say it is that a person he brings up his heels and he sits upon them. When you're sitting down. If you put both of your toes on the floor and your heels up 
and then you sit on top of them. So you're from the posterior, you won't be sitting on the ground. You'll be sitting on top of your heels, which will be upright. How you place your right foot, you place your left foot, left foot the same way. And then you place your posterior upon that. That is mentioned. However, the Shaykh says this description, there is an issue with it. It's unlikely that this is the meaning of the hadith. Because it's narrated from some of the companions that occasionally on the first tashahud they would sit in that way. That type of sitting is narrated in some narrations from the companions in the tashahud, in the first tashahud. So the shaykh says what's most likely therefore and what the correct explanation of this would be is أَنْ يَجْعَلَ مَقْعَدَتَهُ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ وَيَرْفَعُ رُكْبَتَيْهِ وَيَضَعُ يَدَيْهِ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ وَهِيَ الْإِقْعَاءَ الَّذِي سَيَأْتِ النَّهِي عَنْهُ The meaning of it here is that a person this sitting which is not allowed to sit in this way in the tashahud is that you sit down on your posterior you sit down upon your buttocks and you place your uh, you raise your knees up as if you were going to put your arms around your knees you raise your knees up close to your body your knees are raised up and you're sitting upon your posterior and your hands are down by your side your hands are down by your side your knees are up and you're sitting upon your posterior everybody understand the posture sitting on the ground as you would just sit there. So you're sitting on the ground on your posterior. You're sitting on the ground on the back. And your knees, your legs, you bring them in close to you. So your knees are raised up as if you're going to put your hands around them. And then you put your hands actually on the sides beside you. That form of sitting down is what's mentioned, uh, known as al-iq'a. And that's what's mentioned that a person should not sit in that posture. That is not correct in the prayer for the tashahud. Sitting in that particular manner. Also now with regards to the prostration, some more details. That the Prophet ﷺ forbade that a person lays out his hands, his arms rather, in the prostration. The manner in which the animals, the, the predators, etc. They lay out their arms when they sit. سَبَقَ أَنَّهُ سَأَسَلَمْ كَانَ يَضَعُ يَدَيْهِ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ وَيَرْفَعُ ذِرَاعِهِ We've already mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ in prostration would place his hands down and raise the arms. That was mentioned in a previous narration. In the prostration, to place the arms down, the hands down and to raise the arms. Not to be prostrating like this or like this when you're in the prayer. Of course, when you're in the congregation, it's restricted. But when you're alone, they're not to be praying in this way and here and the hands close by or on the ground, but rather here and placed up onto the, into the air. Uh, and the Prophet forbade that a person should put down his hands in the manner that the animals, the predatory animals, etc., the dogs, they place down their arms upon the ground, which will be to place them flat. To place them flat on the ground in your prostration. The whole of the arm flat, the whole of the forearm on the other side flat on the ground. Rather it's your palms, your hands that touch the ground and the arms are raised up. But to place all of it down on the ground, then that is impermissible. And you've seen how the dog sits, when it sits with all of the arms on the ground at the front. So this is mentioned that this type of sitting is not, uh, this type of uh, prostration, placing your arms in that posture is not correct. فَهَذِهِ عَادَةُ الْكِلَابِ This is the habit of the dogs. That's how they sit. 
ونحن منهيون عن التشبه بالحيوانات and we have been forbidden to copy or imitate the animals لا سيما في الصلاة especially in the prayer let alone any other time especially in the prayer you wouldn't copy that فقد نهينا عن افتراش كافتراش سبع وعن التفات كالتفات الثعلب there are actually many examples that are given in the sunnah for types of actions that we're not allowed to do in the prayer which resemble actions of the animals. That's one example. Not to put down your arms like the dogs or the predatory animals. Put them down when they sit. You've seen a lion when it sits. You've seen a tiger when it sits. How they place their front arms all the way on the ground. And you don't place your arms in that way in the prostration. Similarly, it's mentioned that you don't move around in the prayer like a snake moves around. Or thalab, fox. Like a fox moves around. You don't uh, uh, move around and uh, uh, turn and uh, fidget as the, uh, the animals do in that way. And you don't sit down in the way that a dog sits down. As we just mentioned now, sitting on your uh, posterior with the knees up and the hands down by the side. If you imagine how a dog sits up when it sits with the back legs down, the front legs raised. That's the manner which is described, you don't sit in your tashahud. Because if you sit on the back and you raise your legs up and you put your hands down by the side, that's very similar in resemblance and appearance to how a dog sits. Uh, and not to peck like the crows peck when they are eating some seeds and they are pecking. Then you don't move through your prayer in that way, up and down, up and down, ruku' to sujood. Rather it's slowly and with i'tidal, making yourself straight and upright through the positions. وعن بروك كبروك البعير and to to go down into the sitting position as a camel goes down into the sitting position and that is something of great debate and maybe at some point we'll come to that as well how do you go down into the prostration is it with your hands first or your knees first and there's some narrations regarding that we'll come to those inshallah at some point وكذلك على وجه العموم فإن الإنسان منهي عن التشبه بالحيوانات and generally speaking, a person is forbidden to copy the animals and their postures and how they sit in any case, let alone in the prayer. وَكَانَ يَخْتِمُ الصَّلَاةَ بِالتَّسْلِيمِ And the Prophet ﷺ used to conclude his prayer with the taslim. The taslim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. At the end of the prayer. And there are different forms of uh, reciting that too. Lengthier and shorter. كان صلى الله عليه وسلم كما كان يفتح يفتح الصلاة بتكبيرة الإحرام كان يختمها بالتسليم. As the Prophet used to open up the prayer with الله أكبر, then he used to end the prayer with the تسليم. السلام عليكم. So he would say السلام عليكم ورحمة الله to the right and السلام عليكم ورحمة الله to the left. فلو أنه خرج من الصلاة من دون تسليم لم تصح. So if a person just suddenly stopped and walked away. Without doing that taslim at the end of the prayer, without doing that assalamu alaikum at the end of the prayer, just suddenly stopped at the end of tashahud and got up and walked away, that prayer wouldn't be correct. They haven't concluded the prayer in the correct manner. لِأَنَّ taslim رُكَنْ مِنْ أَرْكَانِ الصَّلَاةِ That conclusion of the prayer, assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum, that is actually a pillar from the pillars of the prayer, to conclude the prayer with that. So if you don't conclude it with that, then you just get up at the end and walk away without the taslim, Without assalamu alaikum warahmatullah, then your prayer is incorrect. You've missed that pillar out at the end. فَهَذِهِ جُمْلَةُ أَحْكَامِ So these are a number of general rules or regulations or rulings 
that Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned regarding the prayer of the Prophet And the Shaykh says, no doubt, all of these we take them on board, and we understand them and we practice them, in order that we can pray as the Prophet prayed, in accordance to the statement of the Prophet Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli. Pray as you have seen me pray. So that is some more detail now. And as we go along every week, you build up in this way. Build up in this way more and more details about aspects of the prayer. So now we've just learned some more aspects regarding how to sit in the tashahud. We've learned some more aspects of what and what to do and what not to do in the posture or the prostration position. So all of these things now slowly as we go through the narrations and there are many more, you'll build up more and more details of what's allowed in the prayer, what's not allowed. How is each position in the prayer supposed to be done? How is it not supposed to be done? So slowly, week by week, inshallah, you build up in that way until by the end of the time we come to the end of the chapter, you have a full understanding of how each part of the prayer works, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it, and what are the things that are forbidden and incorrect to do in those parts of the prayer. So we'll leave it there for today. And inshallah in two weeks time we'll continue with the hadith that start after that. And once again, like we said, they'll be giving more descriptions regarding how to raise the hands, where to put them in their positions, etc. So that inshallah will start within two weeks time. For those who haven't got the copies, I advise you. I advise you to try to get a copy of Balugh al-Maram. It's in English, available. This book that we're doing now, the Ahadith, the Hadith are translated, they are available in English. So you should try to get a copy of that. Or even if there is some sort of PDF or something you can download that is available and free to download, uh, then you should try to get something so you have the Hadith in front of you. So as we're reading the Hadith and we're talking about this and the Prophet said that, and here he said, don't sit like the dog, etc. You have it in front of you as well, you can read through and you can follow through. And that will aid you a huge amount in remembering the lesson properly as well. When you have the notes in front of you too, you have the hadith in front of you as well. Rather than just uh, sitting there and having to listen without anything physical, it makes it more difficult. So if you're able to get a copy of the book or you're able to get some sort of printout of the narrations and the hadith of every week, then that will be of great benefit to the people. It will benefit yourself greatly in understanding and remembering it more than without having something. And even those who don't have any access to any of that, I'm sure inshallah the brothers can do something to try and get some sort of printout or something. It will help a lot in the studies inshallah.